Newsbreak podcast. Oh, what is going on with Nevada? I don't understand when the um, tallies are going to come through and just put everybody out of their misery, it seems. Very good afternoon to you. Welcome to Newsbreak Talk. Excitement, electricity, I don't know what the correct word and terminology would be, but the US elections has kept everybody on tender hooks. I mean, what an about turn it took. At the beginning of the vote counting, um, President Donald Trump looking so strong in that to the point that he goes on and declares himself the winner, which, you know, then really adds a bit more of a um, credence to what the, the numbers were indicating at that stage. And Joe Biden just on his way claiming really, really key states um, really making his his presence being felt um, with regard to it. You know, at last count, um, 253 uh, electoral votes to 213. I mean, that's just you know unprecedented there in terms of um, whether or not um, Donald Trump would be able to to bridge that gap. So interesting times, and we're going to be focusing a bit of our attention today on the U.S. elections to find exactly how that race is panning out. Now, Democratic nominee Joe Biden has stretched his lead in key swing states as his advanced 270 electoral college votes, while slow, has been steady, with leads in four of the last five swing states, which remain too close to call. Biden has also taken the advantage in Georgia and Pennsylvania, two states critical to the president's narrowing path. Sherwin Bryce Pease reports that amid cries of cheating and fraud from the campaign of Donald Trump at those states, there's growing sense of dread at a protracted legal battle despite any clear evidence of wrongdoing. Street dancing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as word of Joe Biden's strong position spread, he has 253 electoral college votes and a win in Pennsylvania would give him 273 past the required threshold. He also leads in Georgia, where there is likely to be a recount due to the slim margin of any victory. This was him on Thursday night. We continue to feel, Senator and I, we continue to feel very good about where things stand. We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. So I ask everyone to stay calm, all the people to stay calm. The process is working. The count is being completed, and uh, we'll know very soon. The president has a narrowing path that seems increasingly difficult and has made no secret that litigation in a number of states and at the Supreme Court would be pursued, particularly around certain ballot inclusion in voting tallies. The president and his family, including Donald Jr., have been vocal. I think the Democrats are used to this from a Republican party that hasn't had a backbone. You're not going to see that this time around. That party is gone, and anyone that doesn't fight like that should go with it. But I think the number one thing that Donald Trump can do in this election is fight each and every one of these battles to the death so that we get full transparency in the process And everyone on the Democrat side should welcome this unless they're actually cheating. There is no evidence of cheating or fraud that has come to light as state election officials defend the integrity of their processes. President Trump has said he'd easily win re-election had only legal ballots been counted. And his son went on the offensive. 
Donald Trump is going to fight each and every one of these things so we have a fair election, regardless of that outcome. Americans need to know that this is not a banana republic. And right now, right now, right now, very few people have faith that that's not the case. That should scare all of us. It should scare all of us. If this was going on in another country, if this was going on in a third world country, they would be screaming to the high heavens. When it's happening right here in America, and not just in Georgia, but in all over the place, but primarily in Democrat cities with Democrat control, Democrat judges, this cannot be a one-sided system. This cannot be democracy only when we win. That doesn't work that way. In Philadelphia, the mayor, Jim Kenney, said this. What the president needs to do is, frankly, put his big boy pants on. He needs to acknowledge the fact that he lost, and he needs to congratulate the winner, just as Jimmy Carter did, just as George H.W. Bush did, and, frankly, just as Al Gore did, and stop this and let us move forward as a country. And that's my feeling. I doubt he'll listen to me, but that's it. Earlier, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi celebrated what she believed to be the imminent confirmation of Biden as president-elect. This morning, it is clear that the Biden-Harris ticket will win the White House. Uh, His election is historic, propelled by the biggest vote ever in the history of our country, 73.8 million and counting Americans, the most votes ever received by any presidential ticket in history. President-elect Biden has a strong mandate to lead, and he'll have a strong Democratic House with him and many Democrats in the Senate. This has been a life-or-death fight for the fate of our democracy, as he says, the soul of our country. We did not win every battle in the House, but we did win the war. Biden's lead in Arizona has shrunk, but he has extended his lead in Nevada as a country waits for confirmation of what seems to be the inevitable. But in 2020, nothing is quite as it seems. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. Well, Joe Biden is on the verge of claiming the U.S. presidency, leading Donald Trump in two key states, Georgia and Pennsylvania. The Democratic candidate is also ahead in Nevada and Arizona, where ballots are still being counted as well. Nick Harper looks back on the day of waiting and vote counting from Joe Biden's hometown in Wilmington, Delaware. It was a day of waiting for the Biden campaign, Joe Biden spending it at home with advisers and family as he watched the vote counts come in and his margins gradually grow. The former vice president woke up to the news that he'd overtaken Donald Trump in Georgia, a state that hasn't voted Democrat in 28 years since Bill Clinton. Mr Biden's lead increased as the day wore on, but not enough to rule out a recount in Georgia. The Secretary of State there confirming that even while the final votes were being tallied up, the margin was too small, setting up an automatic recount. In Pennsylvania at 9am, Mr Biden surpassed President Trump's total and continued to extend that lead as vote totals were updated hour by hour. Which led to a very clear feeling in the Biden camp and across much of the country that it was now a matter of not if, But when Joe Biden would be confirmed as the winner, becoming the president-elect? His team announced he was preparing for a speech with the suggestion it would be a prime-time address. At the potential site of that speech, the same place that Biden spoke from on election night, the mood from his supporters was one of increasing optimism. 
People started arriving with Biden signs and T-shirts. One supporter joked that as the vote tallies edged higher in Biden's favor, his anxious wife had stopped throwing things at the TV. But questions continued about whether Donald Trump, continuing to claim throughout the day without evidence that the Democrats had committed election fraud, would concede if Biden was confirmed by the US TV networks as the winner of this election. One Biden campaign official remarked that if necessary, the US government is perfectly capable of escorting trespassers out of the White House. Nick Harper, SABC News, Wilmington, Delaware. Well, it's time now to speak to Mr. Brooks Spector. He's the Associate Editor and U.S. Foreign Policy Expert at The Daily Maverick. I'm so grateful for your time today, sir. Thank you for uh, sparing me some of your thoughts and sentiments regarding this election. Good morning, or good afternoon now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Good to be with you and your listeners, and uh, you had useful things in your introduction. Um, And I I think the, the, the one key thing that we focus on now is one of the people said it's not if but when, and the problem is chivying the current president into accepting his defeat, and that he's a man who has said often throughout his life he hates being a loser, he never is a loser, he doesn't want to be a loser, and here it is in front of uh, five or six billion people, he has been officially uh, pegged as a loser, uh, beaten by somebody else, and so his staff, his family, his friends are, are now faced with the task of gently steering him toward that acceptance, even if they pursue various legal means to contest this part of the, of the uh, process or that part. Uh, there's never been a, a, an election where a president who lost hasn't ultimately accepted it congratulated the winner and the world has moved on and hopefully this will not be the first one where there is some churlishness on the part of the incumbent president who refuses to simply accept the fact that uh, the game is over yeah i mean definitely and that's something we're going to be you know just looking at toward in the latter part of this interview but mr specter i think what comes to mind is what we spoke about when we touched base earlier this week i think that was around wednesday morning and i think the sentiment was what is happening we didn't really see trump going to be so strong at um um you know in the selection and he was and you were a bit perplexed and then about and about turn about 24 hours later you see biden emerging as stronger that power play um, in, in in the votes, how foreseeable was that? Or did that really come as a shock? Well, I, I think somebody, one of the columnists in the U.S. explained to, uh, in a newspaper today, and I'm sort of my, my mornings now, I read five or six American newspapers before we even start with life. Yeah. Um, what they said was, and I think it's quite true, um, the Biden uh, figures didn't continue to rise. The votes had all been cast. They hadn't. They simply hadn't been counted yet. Yeah. And so it wasn't as if Joe Biden suddenly found, or his camp suddenly found, thousands of new ballots. They were there. They just hadn't been opened and counted yet. And the process of advance voting and mail-in ballots, because there were so many of those, 100 million or so uh, mail-in ballots, uh, which is well beyond the number in past elections, 
those are physically complicated to deal with. You don't, it's not like just going into uh, a voting booth, pulling the lever, and the machine does the rest. Here you have a, an envelope which has to be opened manually. A, another envelope has to be extracted from that envelope, and the signature and uh, the other data on it has to be manually checked against the voter's register, and then it has to be unfolded and put into a pile and then counted. So it, it takes much longer. Yeah. And in, in a place like Pennsylvania, because of uh, legislative action well before the actual election, all mail-in ballots could only be counted until after all the other votes had been counted. And as a result, you, you had that, that circumstance of Trump had one level and was leading, and then all of a sudden, boom, on comes this other collection of votes. Where did that come from? Yeah, well, it yeah. came from the pile that was sitting over there on the other side of the building that had been segregated until they could be counted manipulated, opened, yeah, and counted. Yeah, yeah. And yes, I was a little bit perplexed because I did I did understand that all of those mail-in ballots, among them, a good three-fourths or so were likely to be Democrat Democratic Party supporters. And that wasn't showing up in the numbers mm, mm. until you realized, wait a minute, now they haven't actually dealt with the mail-in ballots yet. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think at this point, then, I have to come, I have to jumpstart that question and talk to you about it. So, loopholes, then, for Trump to potentially challenge the outcome of the election, then, within the judiciary, um, by citing examples like this, you know, they, I mean, from what you're saying in terms of the envelopes and opening it and, and um, you know, waiting for a kind of votes to come through. Um, do you suspect Trump could have a strong leg to stand on to um, challenge the legitimacy of the outcome of the, of the election? No, not really. Um, his, own, his own people are explaining that uh, his own people are explaining uh, to him quietly, and everybody else is explaining this less quietly, that you can't very well have a, a circumstance where in one state, in Pennsylvania, the Trump campaign is saying, don't count any more votes. And in another state, uh, in this case, Arizona or, or Nevada, you got to count all the votes. The inconsistency is glaring, and judges uh, will undoubtedly fasten exactly on that. Um, he can't very well claim that there haven't been... Um, observers from his party in all of the, the facilities where the votes are being counted because they've been there yeah. and they've, they've been, you know, television crews have videotaped them being there. So it's not like, it's not like they suddenly just vanished. Uh, and he can't very well claim that somewhere in some secret, uh, coven, uh, the Democrats and the media and big tech had conspired to, to cheat him out of a victory because if they had done that, how in the world would you explain the fact that so many Republican senators, congressmen, gubernatorial candidates, etc., had won their races in those same states? So the, the giant, vast conspiracy theory falls away. The no observers falls away, and the inconsistency between claims in State A and State B uh, opened them up to ridicule. I was listening to a longtime Republican uh, election lawyer, that is obviously somebody who's con who consults on 
uh, making sure that the states follow their own laws and challenges are filed appropriately, even he is throwing up his hands and saying, this, this doesn't make sense. This isn't going to work. Now, there's nothing that prevents the Trump campaign from going ahead and filing a suit to uh, claim one thing or another, but there is no reason to assume that the judges are going to automatically, at the state level, accept this, let alone on appeal, if it comes to that, at the federal level, to the district, to the circuit, and then ultimately to the Supreme Court. This is not something you do in a heartbeat, and the president actually has no impact on managing that process. It has no authority over the judiciary. Uh, and even with a more conservative Supreme Court, it's got to, any such claim has to work its way through the, the judiciary system as a whole, rather than just land on the desks of the nine Supreme Court justices. Hmm. You know, and I think, um, I mean, I'll skip this question because I do know that we are running out of time, Mr. Spector, but I want to talk on the issue of, of, of the third world aspect that many have cited through. If this was happening in a third world country, then, of course, um, automatically there would be a whole lot more uh, sort of chaos. And I think the U.S. then would need to uh, you know, take stock of this. But but, but I, I want to skip that narrative now because I want to talk about some states uh, and Georgia. 28 years, I mean, not since 1992 um, has Georgia, uh, you know, um, been taken by a, a, a Democrat um, leader. And all, all indications are that, you know, Joe Biden is on the verge of claiming that, um, mm-hmm. that particular state. That's a big win, isn't it? Well, when when uh, Bill Clinton won in 1992, and in fact when Jimmy Carter won in 1976, uh, remember that both men were Southerners, and there was a certain regional appeal. One of our guys is, is, is running, and they were running against people who very clearly were not Southern, who very clearly didn't speak to the language of that part of the country, and couldn't, couldn't be assumed to be one of ours, uh, as it were. Um, but Georgia itself as a state has changed in the inter- intervening years. Um, sorry about that noise. Um, first of all, uh, African-American voters are a much stronger presence now in Georgia than they were before by virtue of voter registration drives and all the other uh, ways that people have been encouraged to exercise their right to vote. But also, um, Georgia itself especially around in and around the city of Atlanta, has had major growth, uh, and it has not been by virtue of manufacturing. It has been by virtue of finance and the media and education. It's attracted people from all over the country, and it's become one of the largest uh, cities in the country, one of the fastest-growing cities. And it's not the same Atlanta as it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. So the nature of the demography of Georgia is different than it was four years, eight years, 16 years previously. And Republicans more generally will now have to cope with that reality, too. Now, Democrats are going to have to make sure they, uh, they respond to, to the interests of such people, but it's no longer pure and simple, a southern regional city. It's now a a, a national financial, educational, uh, uh, academic uh, 
powerhouse in a way that certainly wasn't true when I was a child. Well, that's an that's a, an interesting dynamic when you look at it that way. But you know, having said that, like we've been counting thus far, Georgia, Pennsylvania, uh, also ahead in Nevada, Arizona, um, looking good for Biden. What's it looking like for Trump? Where's he? You know, kind of holding on to his stronghold, and what are his chances of a sort of a comeback, at, if at all? Because if we look at electoral vote spot, two hundred fifty-three to two hundred thirty, uh, Biden is on two hundred fifty-three to Trump's two hundred thirteen. So in terms of where um, Trump finds himself, he's not fearing that well, is he? No, I mean, he's not going to, he's not doing well, and he's not going to do well. And if, as Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, presumably Nevada and Arizona fall to Joe Biden's uh, campaign, um, this, this race is over, and it's over except for the official determinations of such a thing. And what's what's next for Donald Trump after a period of denial and a period of they stole it from the complaints and a period of, uh, oh, who were the traitors and the cheaters and the conspirators? Uh, he is going to have to eventually come to grips with the fact that in two months or six and a half weeks time, by the time he gets there in his mind, that he has to move and he has to move along because there's never been a... There has never been a president who refused to vacate the office once they were once they lost the presidency, if they were an incumbent president, and were defeated by an opponent. That 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 hasn't happened in in the country's history, and it certainly isn't going to happen now. You quoted one of the campaign uh, officials of the Biden camp saying. Yes, well, the, um, uh, the city police in Washington certainly have the, the ability to, to deal with trespassers. That, that's pretty blunt stuff, but uh, that's, the, that's effectively the point I'm making, that um, there are things that have to be done. You will note, and I, this is the real straw in the wind for me, the Secret Service extended its coverage of Joe Biden yesterday. It, in, it increased its coverage of Joe Biden. It, it uh, created a no-fly zone over uh, for for commercial aircraft uh, and and generally the private aircraft over the immediate area of his house, and that obviously includes drone flights. Um, and so the Secret Service, which is a straightforward technical arm of the government, it does what it's supposed to do, has made the determination that it now has to do what it must do. And you're going to see an increasing number of these steps. Eventually, soon enough, Joe Biden will get the classified daily intel or you know biweekly intelligence briefing, and eventually uh, the transition team that the Biden camp will, be, will have uh, called into action uh, will begin to get its briefings and yeah. will begin to make plans for the transition. Mm. All of this is straightforward. All of this is normal. And it will transcend any pouting and shouting and stamping of feet that may take place in the White House. Mm, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, Mr. Spector, it's time for you to go. And I'm going to ask you this very big, very broad question. You can sum it up, you know, in your most immediate uh, thought. All indications are Joe Biden likely to emerge as president-elect of the United States, um, you know, overseating the Trump administration. Um, that Trump administration bogged by so much of criticism over the past four years, whether it was racism, whether it was, um, 
you know, uh, a lack of um, representation and respect for minority communities in in the U.S., misogyny, um, a lack of denialism, um, whether it was a lack of common sense. And if you look at the COVID-19 narrative, so a very criticized regime. What's Joe Biden going to bring differently now? Well, I mean, you can just look back to his campaign. And uh, I mean, he had several main things. One, uh, with regard to the COVID pandemic, we follow the science, we follow medicine, we'll beat this thing. Uh, we'll, we'll embrace the fact that it's serious, but we'll beat it. We'll beat it in a coordinated way, go- federal government together with states and local governments. That's a distinct change from the uh, virtual denialist approach that the, uh, the, the Trump White House has, has insisted upon. That's one. Number two, they will re-engage uh, with international allies uh, in a way uh, on a whole range of issues, not the least of which will be in dealing with trade disputes with China rather than the go-it-alone uh, temper tantrum version of, of, of dealing with these things. And number three, um, you're going to see a much more inclusive politics nationally. Uh, in an article that, that appears under Joe Biden's name that came out six, seven months ago in the magazine Foreign Affairs, uh, one of his key points was that to push for the democratization and transparency in the world, such a thing must, first of all, be rooted and grounded in such behavior within the country domestically. So you're going to see that effort as well. Now, it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be simple, and it probably will have all kinds of twists and turns and bumps and, and uh, uh, ructions and uh, potholes along the way. But, uh, you know, summing it up, Joe Biden's been in politics half a century. Uh, he knows many of the players domestically and internationally. Uh, he's watched good people come to grief and good people succeed. And he's watched um, how issues that are complex are complex, and you don't simply snap your fingers and say, fix it, take care of it, make it go away, because the world doesn't work that way. And so what we shouldn't do, I think, assuming Joe Biden is president, is assume that suddenly we go from uh, what I like to describe, remember the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit years ago? Right at the end, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was it was black and it was black and white for a bit, and suddenly they opened the door, and there was technicolor, and the birds were singing, and the butterflies were flying. That's not going to be the tr- that's not going to be the transition that, yeah. that we're going to see. It's not going to be doom and gloom, and then tomorrow morning the birds are happy. It's going to be a gradual process, and he'll 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 suffer defeats along the way as well. The one thing, and I'll leave you with this, is that the one thing that Joe Biden will be capable of doing more than almost any any other politician is drawing on a vast wealth of people with skills and experience who are going to be begging for the opportunity to serve in his administration at various levels. They're out there, and he's not going to have to recruit them. He's going to have to fight them off. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds like an interesting task. Well, we'll leave it there then, Brooke Spector. Thanks so much for your time. Associate Editor and U.S. Foreign Policy Expert at The Daily Maverick. Thank you for your time, and we'll let you get back to your afternoon. Okay, you take care. And we'll be watching all this, and I'm sure I'll hear from you again. Yeah, most definitely. Thanks so much, Mr. Spector. Okay, great. We are talking about the U.S. election and finding out exactly how that race is progressing. All indications are, hey, when we come back, we go to your thoughts. 
DUT is one of the top five universities in South Africa, number 10 in the world for research citations and ranked in the top 500 universities on the planet. It's no wonder that DUT offers you a world-class, internationally recognized education. Applications for 2021 are now open. So apply via the Central Applications Office on cao.ac.za. Remember, applications close end November and closing dates may vary. So please apply today. Visit dut.ac.za. DUT. Envision 2030. Improving lives and livelihoods. Family means being there for the ones you love. Giving them your time, your love, and of course, food. At SPA, we make that easier. We have all the services you need to pay bills or send and receive money. But more than that, we have all your essentials and products you really love at great prices every day. So you don't have to spend time running from one place to the next. You can get it all done for less at SPA. SPA, we're here for you so you can be there for your family. It's Newsbreak Talk today with me, Tariya Shadi Pashad, just after half past uh, 12 on the program, we are looking at the U.S. election, looking at Joe Biden and the great strides he's making. All indications are that he's virtually, um, you know, emerging as the uh, claiming the U.S. presidency and his victory for the Democrats. Uh, so definitely uh, an interesting time. Votes still being counted, but all indications are. So we are definitely going to be keeping close tabs on that for that official confirmation. Uh, but I want to take you through to something that, you know, I was particularly, um, you know, I, I, it caught my attention this this uh, entire time. Um, and yeah, so this this particular um, excerpt that I'm going to be playing for you um, was from the 80s in 1986 and this was a discussion during the uh, reagan revolution when the then secretary of state george schultz and joe biden um went head to head about the apartheid situation and um you know mr biden of course challenging at that state uh at that stage he was challenging the us's response to the apartheid situation in South Africa and calling for, I think, the U.S. to take a bit more of a, um, you know, um, interested approach in the issue and to actually side with human rights as opposed to siding with the, with, um, you know, the apartheid regime. It was a very interesting um, excerpt and I'd like to play that for you. So, yeah, if we could just take you to that particular clip. This is Joe Biden in 1986 um, going head to head against the Secretary of State for the U.S., George Shultz. And this was him talking about how um, inhumane the apartheid regime is. Call of policy is the rationale for the policy. The rationale for the policy. You set out four principles that you, that you adhere to, and then you, and, and I will go over them in a moment. Then you say on page 14, we must not become part of South Africa's problem. We must remain part of their solution. We must not aim to impose ourselves, our solutions, our favorites in South Africa. Damn it, we have favorites in South Africa. The favorites in South Africa are the people who are being repressed by that ugly white regime. We have favorites. Our loyalty is not to South Africa, it's to South Africans. And the South Africans are majority black, and they are being excoriated. It is not to some stupid puppet government over there. It is not to the Afrikaners regime. We have no loyalty to them. We have no loyalty to South Africa, to South Africans. And the fact of the matter is we, I mean, I listen to this rationale first of all. It is the leaders of South Africa and their people, black and white, who have the majority responsibility. 
They must rise to it. Well, they are rising to it. They're rising to it with the only thing left available with that repulsive, repugnant regime of Afrikaners there. And it's the only way they have. They've tried everything for the last 20 years. They begged, they borrowed, they crawled. And now they're taking up arms. The second thing, progress toward peace requires a timetable. Timetable, elimination of a part. What's our timetable? What are we saying to that repugnant regime? Are we saying you've got 20 days, 20 months, 20 years? We ask them to put up a timetable. What's our timetable? These people are being crushed. And we're sitting here with the same kind of rhetoric, the same thing we heard. We heard, go slow. We heard, we have to take care of the problem afterwards. We heard, we you can't have, impose. You, you are totally misconstruing the testimony my... that I gave. Read first. Furthermore, Senator, let me say that I hate to hear a senator of the United States calling for violence. I'm not calling That's for violence. That's what you're doing. I hate that is to hear. Exactly what you're I doing. hate to hear an administration and a Secretary of State refusing to act on a morally abhorrent point. I hate to hear this country. I'm ashamed that this country puts out a policy like this that says nothing, nothing. Powerful, hey? 1986, Joe Biden there as a senator. Uh, talking about the, as he termed it, the repugnant regime of the apartheid government of the Afrikaners and calling on um, the Reagan regime to um, play a more active role, put more timelines to to the to ending the um, injustices of apartheid. And I think that was that was I don't know that was pretty special. It went viral this this week specifically, uh, obviously, but. You know, it, it was quite a resonant clip, and I think it's definitely um, speaks to, I think, a, a sort of a passion for human rights, a passion for, I mean, you know, Black Lives Matter and um, the whole push to have a greater um, demographical representation in U.S. politics has been a major part of the Democratic Party's um, campaign going into the election. Um, and I think a lot of... Um, Cynics and, and analysts would have questioned, a lot of us journalists questioned, is it just a rhetoric? Is it just an antithesis of what the Trump administration put forward and therefore in that um, providing an alternative to the Trump administration and thereby trying to secure more votes? But when you hear something like this from 1986 of Joe Biden um, really, really impassionately talking about the issue of race and racism and, and, and oppression um, definitely gives you some sort of perspective for the future, doesn't it? So, yeah, I'm going to go now to some WhatsApp voice notes. Thank you so much for waiting for them. Um, we've got Mr. Ian Governor. Hello there, sir. Good day, Taresh and the team. Joe Biden will win the presidential election with a landslide victory. He appealed for calm while the votes were being counted. Biden promised that he will work for all and make America great. It is hoped that Biden will stand with India amid the rising tensions along its border with China. The United States must ensure freedom of navigation in the South China Sea and frustrate China's attempts to claim the whole of the South China Sea together with the islands. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Governor. Appreciate it. 
I'm going to your text messages. Krish from Chatsworth, South Africa must do votes, just like the US. We are, Rachel and I are literally talking about that, that US voting system and how big and extensive it is. Uh, and we're just constantly trying to wrap our brain around it. Citizens here must choose who um, to, to run the country and who to be president. Uh, Rani from Stangamana says Donald Trump should grow up give in and gracefully bar out losing only makes one more mature uh, my money's on Joe Biden all the way thanks team have a beautiful afternoon you too Mala says it's quite disturbing that President Donald Trump is challenging the outcome of the elections it's a clear indication that he is power hungry I think that he should uh, think about the best interests of the American people and come to grips um, that the Democrats are leading and not prolong the outcome of the election um <laughs> you know, this is this this is the joke of the the week. I think Roshan sent us a joke from Amzinto. Uh, do you know why Trump refuses to leave the White House? Because um, j- uh, because it's for Biden. <laughs> yeah, laughter is the best best medicine, Roshan. Um, Shamila Maharaj and Stanger says we always appreciate your daily news. Thank you and take care. Thanks, Shamila. Thanks for listening. Um, Kala Shakti says, may the best man for USA, uh, uh, for the US presidency win. And I think it should be Biden, but in keeping with the interest of the citizens in the USA. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we're up to date then on the messages that have come through. Go ahead and send us your thoughts on it. And I think let's also then shift the conversation to, you know, what does it mean for, I think, global relations now, uh, having a new president, um, in terms of um, where the U.S. is likely to position itself in terms of a lot of global issues, of course, the U.S. and an ongoing um, tension between China, of course, the relationship with Russia coming to account, the um, historic relationship with the Middle East. So these kinds of you know relations, global relations, one would need to look at. And ultimately, also with South Africa, um, what does the Biden regime mean um, for um for um South Africa I'm just thinking about um some of the words and terminology that uh, President Donald Trump has used previously um so yeah you know what kind of relations are likely to be created now you can give your you can give that a thought and give me a text send me a voice note and we'll take the conversation forward family means being there for the ones you love giving them your time your love and of course food and at Spa, we have all the services and products you need at great prices. Like Brooks Oro's 2 litre, $31.99. Spa Long Life Milk, 6 times 1 litre, $69.99. Ola Rich and Creamy Ice Cream, 1.8 litres, buy 2 for only 75 rands. Spa, we're here for you so you can be there for your family. Your favorite shopping expo of Durban, India, InStyle Diwali Shopping Festival is back at Hollywood Bets Kingsmead Stadium from the 30th of October to the 15th of November, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily. Entries, 10 rands a person. Punjabi, saris, kurti tops, footwear, and so much more. Stand a chance to win a TX3 mini TV box worth 3,000 rands every Saturday and a limousine ride worth 3,000 rands every Sunday. Fireworks display on the 13th of November between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. We have refreshing restaurants and this is the last expo of the festive season. See you there. A treasure chest of journeys. From a temple in India. My great-grandfather brought the Murti and came in his veil. Seeds of time sowed to create new memories. Sam brought beans, Binda and so on. Because these other things were not available in South Africa. A legacy that stands the test of time. 
Join us on Newsbreak Talk this November as we trace the legacy of the 1860 indentured labourers to your roots. Newsbreak Talk every weekend at 12 noon with me, Taresh Hari Prashad. 1860 time here. Wonderful, wonderful to have these conversations. This Naidu from the Bluff says Trump is an immature poor loser. <laughs> he hates being called a loser, though. He just literally hates that. It's going to really be an issue for him. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, shame. <laughs> okay, while we uh, wait for a lot more of um, your opinions, your thoughts with regard to the US election, let me bring you um, up to date. Rather, let's listen to that speech by Joe Biden earlier. We're going to put our plan to control this virus into action. We can't save any of the lives lost, any of those have been lost, but we can save a lot of lives in the months ahead. Yeah, that was Joe Biden speaking earlier when he uh, did call for calm. Um, you'll understand as well, there's uh, you know, potential uh, threats and tensions rising now with regard to vote counting, the fact that Joe Biden is um, particularly you know, doing well, particularly, um, and he's called for calm, um, asking the citizens of the U.S. to be calm, to be patient. Um, and, and this is because Trump is warning that he will dispute the results of the election if he doesn't win, and he painted a... Um, in a bleak picture for for civil relations. So I think Joe Biden going to the state then to talk and provide a sort of um, call for calm. LA sends us a text, a Biden victory is a blow to the right-wing governments of India, Brazil and the British, especially with the Brexit deal being on shaky grounds. However, the new regime will mean nothing if the Palestinian issues are not resolved um, and the influence of the Jewish lobby on American politics remains. Talk of state capture. Yeah, that was my thought as well. The less of the two evils when I said, what does it mean for the international relations going forward? And that is something I definitely, once we do have a clear cut and a, I think a legislated um, a winner of this, I definitely want to um, look at those relations. You know, the US, of course, such a big powerhouse in, in global politics. So I definitely want to talk about um, what's likely to be now changing in, in, in foreign policy. Okay, chapter two says the world will be a better place to live in without Trump. The virus was designed by the Chinese to punish the Americans and eventually to get rid of Donald Trump. It worked well. He will make an excellent ambassador in his so-called state of Israel. Chapter two, not holding any punches there. Okay, um, Yano Pelé's uh, still sending us a message. Okay, we're going to wait for you, Yano. Um, but yeah, interesting to see your thoughts and how you've been watching it. Uh, Zahid Danbar of Phoenix just sent a text. Will Joe Biden be that vocal on the ANC government like he was on the National Party government? Is this the type of ruling, etc. he expected from the ANC he fought for? Powerful point, Zahid. He had, uh, yeah, got me thinking about that one, you know. Um, so, yeah. Regime change, always a fascinating time for politics when there is one. So we look forward to that. Um, something you've been asking me about um, yesterday, about the state of the Addington Hospital. And um, we are going to um, bring you an update on that because um, 
yeah, we're going to be trying our best to get you the latest with regard to that to see, um, you know, where the situation is. Stay tuned. Breaking news. Game are changing the game. That's because Black Friday is now 28 days of Black Friday. Shop new unbeatable deals every week. That's right. Get unbeatable new deals every week for 28 days only at Game. Be prepared. Pay your SCBC TV license in store or get a new license with any TV purchase. Bring your FICA documents or your TV license statement and we'll do the rest. Turn 2020 into 2020 this Black Friday. New unbeatable deals every week. Game's got you and you've got Game. Okay, yeah, so the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Health is investing, investigating sorry, a video that was taken at the Durban Addington Hospital of a patient with an injured foot struggling down the stairs while striking workers look on. Workers from various unions down tools on Wednesday because of the long-standing problem with the broken lifts. The video has gone viral on social media. It shows several healthcare workers walking past while he's sliding down the stairs on his behind. The department wants to get the person behind the video. Um, Fanil Mplongo reports. In the video that has gone viral on social media, a patient is seen struggling to go down the stairs at Eddington Hospital. The footage was filmed during healthcare workers' protest against broken lifts at the hospital on Wednesday. The department says it will take disciplinary steps if their suspicion is confirmed that the video was taken by an onlooking healthcare worker. The head of department, Dr. Sandile Shab. Okay, having a problem with that audio, we're going to try and um, you know get it again and then revisit that particular audio uh, for you. Another something you were particularly interested in um, discussing. Yanu uh, Pele from Phoenix says Trump should care about the people of America and let the best man win. In my opinion, Trump is just being selfish. Uh, yeah, power struggles. But yeah, uh, there was, a, you know, this point, I didn't have the time to discuss this with Mr. Brooks Spector because, of course, we had a lot to go through in the limited time that uh, we were speaking. Um, you know, if this was an African country with votes, you know, being counted um, taking so long to be counted with, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the incumbent himself questioning and challenging the um, uh, legitimacy of the vote. You know, what narrative, what message would this have actually sent globally and, you know, within um, third world states about the transparency of elections? Uh, that it is happening within the U.S., um, one of two things is then suggesting that one needs to um, look at the U.S. vote counting system a bit more critically and look for ways to make that process better, taking into account there's been a COVID-19 issue that has uh, provided new modifications to the way votes have been cast this year. And is it also then saying that... Um, Perhaps, you know, whatever happens in the developed nations, whatever sort of irregularity may pop up, it's okay because it's a developed nation. It's it only happens, you know, bad things only happens in the third world states. So that's also an interesting conversation that I wanted to have with Mr. Spector. But you can talk to me about um, your thoughts with regard to that. If you have an opinion on it, um, I'd love to hear that and 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 take that uh, forward with you. Um, so we are trying our best to get you that audio with regard to um, the Addington Hospital. When we come back, we try and revisit that story.
the young and wild challenge the ruthless street Borussia Dortmund, world famous for turning young talent into superstars, face the reigning champions of Europe, FC Bayern Munchen. It is time for the classic Who will take the victory? Catch Borussia Dortmund battle it out with Bayern Munchen Saturday the 7th of November at 7.30pm live on SABC3 and SABC radio stations. The Bundesliga hashtag German excellence meets Mzanti passion proudly brought to you by SABC Sport. For the love of the game. A treasure chest of journeys from a temple in India. My great grandfather brought the Murti and came in his veil. Seeds of time sowed to create new memories. Sam brought beans. Binda and so on, because these other things were not available in South Africa. A legacy that stands the test of time. Join us on Newsbreak Talk this November as we trace the legacy of the 1860 indentured labourers to your roots. Newsbreak Talk every weekend at 12 noon with me, Taresh Haripashad. Lotus FM, celebrating our heritage. The 16th of November 2020 marks the 160th anniversary of the arrival of first Indian indentured labourers to South Africa. The slave trade had come to an end in the British Empire in 1833. Indian indentured labourers were sent to colonies of the British Empire around the world during the 19th century. In 1843, Britain annexed Natal, South Africa, and in 1859, the local farmers petitioned for the import of indentured laborers from India to work on sugarcane estates. In November 1860, 30 indentured Indians were assigned to the Amzinto Sugar Company, owned by the Reynolds brothers. The suicide rate amongst Indian indentured laborers was highest at this estate. Generally, life for the Indian immigrants was one of hardship and struggle. They worked on the sugarcane plantations from sunrise to sunset. During the indenture period, Indians were not given proper housing and lived in appalling conditions. Cooking, washing and sanitation facilities were not Non-existent. Indians quickly formed a strong part of the labor force in Natal, taking up work as coal miners and railway workers. Indians also became fishermen, clerks in the postal service and court interpreters. 160 years later, we remember the struggles of the Indian indentured laborers and proudly celebrate their efforts in shaping the economic landscape of our country as well as their important contribution to South African history. Lotus FM. So, yeah, I'm going to go to some more messages now. We've got a message here from Roy Singh. Hello there. Uh, good afternoon to Daresh and the Newsbreak team. It's so interesting to know that uh, Joe Biden is leading uh, the whole campaign in the United States of America, including uh, Kamala Harris, which never before... Has there been an Indian that will be running parallel to Joe Biden? And uh, I think I will back Joe Biden at any time because this will bring democracy not only to the people of America but throughout the world. Thank you, Roy Singh Sanger. Thank you, Mr. Singh. Appreciate your message today. Um... And 
going through more of the messages now. Uh, Mrs. Muhammad, if Biden wins, he'll probably have to face great challenges from his opposition parties uh, pertaining to foreign policy in regard to the rights of the Palestinians. And that's from Mrs. Muhammad. And um, here's chapter two. Hey to you, Taresh and the listeners. Thank you for for giving us Biden's 86 speech. I wonder what speech Biden will have if he sees what the country state looks like now. Thank you from chapter two. Yeah, very much like the sentiment there of Zahir Danbal when you look at, you know, what um, democracy has brought to South Africa. Is it at, at what level is it? Um, message from Ale. If this was a developing country, the currency would have been affected negatively and the economy under threat. The American and the other Western observers would have been on every media space talking about democracy being under threat. That um, What are independent observers saying now or where? Uh, were there any observers? Yeah, so that's my point as well, Ali. Um, let's go to this voice message. I don't know who it's from. Hello there. Good afternoon to you, Taresh, and uh, the Newsbreak team. Hats off to Joe Biden and congratulations to him. He is definitely going to be the uh, president-elect. You know, if you look at it, 1986, 34 years ago, the man stood for democracy. He stood against the apartheid regime of South Africa, as you heard in the clip. And you know what? It is so heartwarming to know that he was in the United States of America, but stood in place of what was happening in South Africa. And, uh, you know, we wish him well. And we, we want to say that democratically, if he is chosen as the next president, we want to say congratulations to him and thank you, Taresh, Cedric, Bayview and Chatsworth. Thanks, Cedric, for your message. Okay, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, Rama Mudli from Phoenix says, interesting, enjoying the topic very much. Yeah, let's leave it there. Thanks for listening, Ramba. We'll have to leave it there now. It's uh, all we have time for on the program. I'm sorry, I have been unable to bring you that uh, report with regard to that video from the Addington Hospital. I do apologize, uh, trying to work on uh, on rectifying um, the audio there. And as soon as I'm able to, which would possibly be by tomorrow, I do apologize. Um, I'd like to bring you that particular report because I did tell you I was going to. So yeah, we'll, uh, I do apologize for that technical glitch that we had with regard to that. But the broadcast came away courtesy of the team, executive producer Selma Patel and Rachel Wadi. Tomorrow we are talking about... Um, the 1860 story, but I'm talking about it within the 2020 context. What I mean is, what are young people saying about the 1860 narrative? What are young people, how are young people celebrating 160 years of Indians in South Africa? Do they understand the story, know the story, and are they even uh, particularly keen about practicing Indian culture um, and maintaining that strong sort of link that the forebearers and the forefathers um, wanted the descendants, their descendants, to to uh, to create and establish. So I wonder um, your thoughts on that. Please keep thinking about it and even get you your children to send me some voice notes tomorrow. I look forward to that. From Hey, have an awesome day. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.